Hey everybody, it's Pastor Phil at New Life in Christ Church again, and um, I have a couple of announcements before we get into, into service, but I do want to welcome you um, to our online service, and uh, you know, um, know that it's not easy, the times we're living in, and I just pray and trust that uh, you're able to continue to choose to be joyful in this time. Um, this announcements before we get into it. Again, we have the church website, which is nlicedarcreek.org, and on there you can find all of our previous um, sermons that you can download on audio form, or you can um, find links to, to YouTube and see the videos we've done. Um, additionally, we have uh, Facebook, our Wednesday night service, which we've been doing uh, live on fa uh, Facebook with, with Tim, and I do a couple songs in worship, and then uh, Tim takes over and... Um, it's, it's always um, a very blessed time to spend with the Lord, um, you know. Um, and then uh, I should uh, also uh, have, uh, you should have up on the screen three ways to give now. We have three ways. That's uh, through text, and the number should be on the screen. And then you can also click on the link in this vi the video description of this video, um, or there is um, the option to uh, give via mail. And uh, I know that it's, it's uh, not the easiest time to give. Um, that's why always do as you feel in your heart to do. That's why, you know, Paul in the New Testament said, uh, let each one give as he's reasoned in his heart. Amen. So, and we will endeavor to do our utmost to be responsible and faithful with what we receive. And so we thank you all for your support. Now, let's get into worship, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your uh, continuing presence, your abiding presence that is with us, Lord, and uh, sometimes even we take when we take it on faith, we are aware that you are with us, Lord. We just choose to um, have that confession of faith that says, yes, I know the Lord is with me because he has said he is with me. And uh, as we worship together, Lord, it, 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 it's not like we're each um, in individual rooms in our houses, but we are, to you, it's the, as though we are all worshiping together uh, to, in close proximity in the spirit. And so we thank you, Lord. I ask that you bless the service and bless the time. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Praise God. Hmm. This is amazing grace. done for me. 
darkness whose love is mighty so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe of wonder the king of glory the king above all kings oh
sacrificing for all that you've done for me. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Praise you, Lord. You've done so much, Lord. Of the 
the mountains I can't climb. I will lift my eyes to the calmer of the oceans raging wild. I will lift my eyes to the healer of the hurt I hold inside. I will lift my eyes, lift my eyes to you. I will lift my eyes, lift my eyes to you. I will lift my eyes, lift my eyes to you. That could ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence Lord Heart becomes free, and 
presence, things are changed. Things change in your presence. Lord, as we continue here in your presence, I ask that you bless the word going out, that it be pleasing to your ear, Lord and pleasing to your heart. Ask for your help to teach it, Lord. And in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Testing one, two. Am I coming through good? <clears throat> Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Um, before we get into the word, I have a seeing blurred here. Before we get into the word, uh, I, I have a couple of videos to show you guys um, that were sent to us from a couple of the ministries we support. That'd be the, uh, the Hadabaz in Lebanon and then our friend Danny Hubble, who's in San Antonio, who's a chaplain down there who ministers to our first responders. So uh, they are all people who I have a lot of respect for and pray that God continues to work alongside in their ministry. So uh, here, here they are. Okay, so that was uh, put together for you. Let's go ahead and turn over to John chapter 8, Gospel of John. John 8, if you would. Uh, before we start reading here, um, it's good to note that, you know, to, just to kind of give you some context, because we're going to kind of jump into the middle of a conversation Jesus is having with some people. And he's in the temple, and he's speaking to a crowd of Jews that are trying to, trying to figure him out. They're asking him all these questions, and they're trying to, 
you know, they, they're trying to figure out who he's making himself out to be because he's being kind of um, vague in his, in his speaking. But if they had known the, the scriptures better, or a better way to put that is if they had understood the heart of the scriptures, they would have recognized him. Um, and he wouldn't have had to say outright who he was. They would have, they would have been able to perceive that. Um, but uh, here in John 8, we're going to look at verse 25, starting in verse 25, I mean. It says, then they said to him, that's the Jews, the, the religious leaders specifically, then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. So he says, the Father has not left me alone. You know, one of the most important beliefs, one of the most fundamental truths that we hold to as Christians is that God is always with us. Christians all over the world take comfort and strength in growing more and more aware of God's constant abiding presence in their lives. Amen. Aside from believing for salvation through Jesus Christ by saying out loud that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, aside from that belief, being aware that God is always with you is one of the most important beliefs that we can develop. Because beliefs can be developed. Jesus thought it was so important that we believe it, that we believe this, that before he went to the cross, he stated several times to those that love him and keep his word that he and the Father would come to that person and make their home with that person in their heart. And when Jesus spoke with the Holy Spirit to the disciples, and by extension to us, he said that the Holy Spirit already dwelt among them and that he would be in them. And remember, Jesus said, lo, I am with you till the end of the age. He's talking about he's with us in spirit. We as Christians cherish these promises, and rightly so. Knowing that we know, that we know, that we know that God is always with us gives us confidence, boldness, peace, comfort, strength. Having the one who is everything we need with us is far better than anything we can get from this world around us. But how many of you, like me, have gone through times when you didn't feel God's presence? Have you gone through a time when his presence seemed elusive? You know, we, we talked about that a couple weeks back with, with Moses, you know, when the people were leaving Egypt and they looked up and saw the Egyptian army coming after them. And the pillar of cloud, which represented God's presence, that cloud moved around from the front in front of them to the back of them to stop the Egyptians from being able to chase the people down. Well, when the cloud first started moving, it may have seemed to the people like God may have been abandoning them. When in reality, he was simply changing position to help them in a different area. 
You've probably been in a similar situation where it seemed like you, you've been looking for his direction or his help, and it, it felt like you're grasping at straws. And I'm, but what if I try this? What if I try that? Maybe, maybe this is his will over here, or, or maybe, maybe I'll find him if I go over here to this church, or maybe if I go over to this Bible study, or if I follow this particular teacher or whatever. And you might get mixed results from that, or no results. And it just feels like all of life is this dry place. And you wonder, how much longer can I make it? How much longer can I make it before I just perish in this? And many of us have done that. You know, many of us have thought that way. But what does the word say in Hosea 4, 4 6? He, God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We... we you know, what knowledge is that? Knowledge of God. We have an opportunity here to look at Jesus' teaching and gain some knowledge because we certainly don't want to be destroyed. So let's do away with lack of knowledge. Amen. Look again at what Jesus said here in verse 29. He said, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. For I always do those things that please him. Now, we have to be careful. Now, and, and I mean, you know, sometimes you think maybe Jesus is just making a, 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 you know, a positive confession. Maybe he's just affirm, reaffirming his faith by his words because he's in a, a, a situation where he's being put under pressure by these people who are, are kind of needling him. So we have to be careful not to write this off, what he's saying here, by assuming that Jesus is just encouraging himself by saying that out loud. Because, you know, we do, that's scriptural to do that. We do that even when we don't feel like it. Speaking out loud what we believe, you know, we're supposed to do that. The book of Hebrews tells us to hold fast the confession of our faith. And it's talking about in hard times. Because if you weren't going to have a hard time, why would you ever have to hold fast? And so, yeah, we're supposed to hold fast the confession of our faith. One, because that exercises our faith. And two, because Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I quoted that. And, and of course, when you're speaking out God's word, you're still hearing God's word. And I quoted that last week, too, but I actually got the scripture address wrong. I said it was in 2 Corinthians when it's actually in Romans. I'm surprised no one caught me on that. Anyway, we hold fast the confession of our faith, which should be in the word. Our faith should be in the word. We say out loud what we believe because, we, because when we do that, we exercise our faith. Faith is not based on feelings. Faith is based on what is promised by God. God promised us in his word that we would have his presence with us. And of course, there's a qualifier to that, but we'll get to that. So because he promised that to us, we confess those scriptures to stir ourselves up. But I don't believe that that's what Jesus is doing here, and let me show you why. If you have a bookmark, leave that here in John, and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 27, Matthew 27, if you would. What we're about to read here uh, is actually taking place during the crucifixion, so Jesus is actually already on the cross where we're about to start reading here in Matthew 27. And we're going to start uh, in verse 45. 45, yeah, so we're already pretty far in the chapter here. All right. One more page. Matthew 27, verse 45. 
It says, now about, or excuse me, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. That's because Jesus is on the cross at this point. And we're talking about about three hour span here, darkness over all the land. Verse 46, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, remember in John 8, we just read that Jesus said his father had never left him alone. But now here, Jesus is on the cross. He has, he has done as the father commanded and taken the whole world's sin upon himself. And while he's hanging here on the cross, he, he, he suddenly becomes aware that he, is, he no longer feels the presence of his father. If we take what Jesus said in John 8 at face value, which we should, that tells me this. Jesus was so used to sensing the presence of the Father. He was so comfortable abiding in his Father's companionship that at this moment on the cross, when the Father's presence is suddenly no longer noticeable to him, Jesus actually cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why can't I sense your presence with me? That reaction is so profound to me that I believe with all my heart that what Jesus said in John 8, the Father has not left me for I always do those things that please him. When he said that, he was stating that he literally always felt the presence of the Father with him up until that moment on the cross. Now you understand that Jesus didn't stay in that state of being forsaken, don't you? And we'll see that in a second here. But everything I said up until now has been to make a point, and this is it. I believe very strongly that we can have that same level of awareness of God's presence that Jesus lived with day by day. But before we get into that, let's spend just a little time on why Jesus suddenly could not sense the Father's presence on the cross, because it's good to understand that. And it's also related to what we're talking about today. Now, 2 Corinthians 5, if you want to write that down and look it up later, because we're not going to turn there. But 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that Jesus was made sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The reason Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is this. God will withdraw his presence from sin. That has been the issue since the beginning. Mankind disobeyed God, ate the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, allowing sin to enter the world, causing separation of mankind from God. Now, generally speaking, God is always present. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He, he, he created space. Therefore, he is in it, through it, beyond it. He's everywhere present, generally speaking. Paul talked about this in Acts. In fact, let's turn over there and read about it, Acts Chapter 17. I'm unusually thirsty today. Acts 17. Look down at verse 22 with me in Acts 17. And this is Paul. He's, he's gone through and he's, he's grieved because of all the idolatry going on here. And uh, he starts preaching about Jesus, and these people take him to the Areopagus, which is the like the Jewish, I mean not Jewish, the Greek council. They're sort of you know uh, these 
wise guys, I guess you could say, that all they do is stand around and talk about philosophy and things like that. So Paul gets taken to these guys. So in verse 22, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God, who made the, the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. See, Paul is acknowledging that God is not far from any person, really. Even though these people were only vaguely aware of his existence. But specifically, because I said generally speaking, you know, God is, is everywhere, but specifically... You know, where, where are we more aware of his presence? I mean, because, and that, that's like, that's why, you know, I mean, I actually chose that song before, before I even um, settled on this message today, but, but, you know, where it says, make us more aware of your presence. And that's not, the, so when you, when you talk about God's presence, how he's omnipresent everywhere, when you are aware of his presence in a place, it's not because he showed up all of a sudden, it's because now you are suddenly more aware of his presence than you were before. But then there's also his direct presence in the, in the throne room, you know. And uh, specifically, what Paul is telling these people is that God's desire is for them to search for him and find him. Because in a general sense, he's everywhere present. But, people, but he wants people to look for him. Isn't that what he just said? He said, God has given mankind life, breath, and all things. Pre-appointed times. Why? Why did God give us all that? So that they should seek the Lord. This is why God gives people things. Even, even the most destitute person in the world, if they're alive, they have breath. Why did he give them that? So that they would seek him? But because separation from God came as a result of sin... God sent Jesus to be a perfect sacrifice for all the world's sins so that we could be forever in his presence. Amen. And that is why he made Jesus sin, so that through Jesus' sacrifice, he could make us his righteousness. Now understand that Jesus didn't sin. He was made sin. There's a difference. There's a difference. And so through that, Jesus then could make us God's righteousness. What I'm saying is that God was willing to temporarily be separated from his son so that all those who are willing to accept his son can spend eternity in his presence. Now, there are believers out there who have a hard time with the thought that they themselves have been made God's righteousness, but that is the very gift that allows us to be in God's presence at all. Can't be in his presence without right standing. A good position with him. All right, now. 
We're getting very close to what we're talking about today, so just bear with me and you'll see why I'm teaching it like this. I'm teaching a little differently, but you'll see why. After Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Gospel of Luke tells us that after he cried out with that loud voice, Jesus then said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last. This takes place when he, when he said that and then he breathed his last. He said that after he knew that he was no longer able to sense the presence of the Father. That is so significant because we need to realize that that was when he made a confession of faith. See, Jesus is our example both at times we can sense God's presence and at those times when we can't sense God's presence because Jesus went through a time where he could not sense God's presence. And in order to understand how we are to respond in that time, we need to look to him because he's our example. Because when Jesus said those words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, because that was a confession of faith, and the reason it was a confession of faith, and I didn't say that a second ago, but I'll say it now, is because he could not feel his Father's presence. So how, how can he make the confession, I'm committing my, 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 my spirit into your hands, Lord, I mean, he, but, but see, at the same time, he can't feel God's presence. He can't feel the Father's presence. It's as though the Father is nowhere near him. So how can he, uh, what, what evidence does he have to be able to say, into your hands I'm committing my spirit? What evidence does he have besides faith? Faith is the substance of things not seen. Things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. But see, he, because he still makes this conscious choice to express trust in his God, in his Father. So, if you are in a place where you feel like you're struggling to sense that God is near, you're going to have to express trust in your God. Because that's what Jesus did. He's our example. And his trust was not disappointed because three days after he said those words and breathed his last, God raised him from the dead in total victory over sin and over the devil. And then he sat down at the right hand of his Father in heaven, never to be separated from God's presence again. Praise God. Now, in order to get to our main point today, let's redirect ourselves back to our first text, which is John 8. Go back to John 8 where you have that uh, uh, bookmark, if you would. We're just going to read this again, you know, with fresh eyes. John 8, verse 25. Then they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. There's a pause here. That's why he, go, he just continues, because he makes this statement, and there's this pause while they're thinking about it, and they don't understand who he's talking about when he's talking about the Father. Verse 28, Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. So here's a question. Did Jesus say it was because he was God's son that the father 
had never left him. No. Did he say it was because God sent him into the world that the Father never left him? No. What was the reason? Jesus gave his listeners that the Father never left him alone. For I always do those things that please him. I always do those things that please him. Not occasionally, not sometimes, not most of the time, always. Now, I want you to think about this very carefully. We're talking about relationship. If we desire to sense God's presence, it must be out of a desire for a growing relationship with him. When you're seeking to build a relationship with a person, if you want to become their friend, there are certain actions you take. I, for example, usually try to go beyond small talk and say something to make them laugh. Because people like to laugh. In essence, what am I doing? I'm trying to please them. Take anything that you do to try to build a friendship with a person. You, you take time out of your day to talk to them. You might buy them lunch or do something to help them out when you're not obligated to. In essence, the goal of all those actions is to please them in order to build that relationship. One of the reasons God answers prayer is to please us. That's not the primary reason he answers prayer, but it is a reason. In John 16, 24, we read last week, Jesus said, and you, ask, what you, ask uh, what you will. Wait, excuse, excuse me, ask. He said, <laughs> sorry. He said, ask and receive that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. Remember in Luke 12, Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God and all these things, meaning everything you need, will be added to you. In the verse right after that, Jesus said, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's his good pleasure. It's pleasing to God to give, to please us. The more effort you put into pleasing someone, the more you're going to find yourself in their presence. Why? Because the more you do that, the more often they're going to put in an effort to be around you. Is that not right? Jesus said, I always do the things that please my Father, so he's always around. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, of course. And at the same time, the Father answered Jesus' prayers all the time, which, of course, would have, in essence, pleased Jesus. So it's important to note that this was, and is, a relationship in which both parties found value. And you can also see that both Jesus and the Father put in an effort. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It takes effort to draw near to someone. And since God draws near to you, if you draw near to him, you and he are both putting in effort, aren't you? God's willing to put effort into you. And there's a reason I'm stressing this. During this shutdown due to coronavirus, in addition to praying for a solution to this crisis, we've also been praying for revival. And we, like many churches, are seeing people show a renewed interest in God. And I'm ecstatic about that. You have no idea. It's not a bad thing that people seek God in hard times. Because some people get, you know, you know, have some condemnation and be like, ah, oh, you're only seeking God because you're in trouble. No, God will... God God wants you to seek him anytime. 
And I can tell you, you know, uh, that it's, it's just, it's such, a, it's such an honor that you tune into this online service now and let me speak into your life this word. Such an honor to be able to speak these things to you in these difficult times. You know, but with that comes a great responsibility to give what I know from the word that you need to hear, to give you that. Because in times past, before this crisis happened, when people have been going through a hard time and they step into the church building here after years away, or, or maybe there's someone who steps into the church building they've never stepped into any church building before. And then they tell us, well, I just, I just feel like God has been telling me to get into church. When they have come to a place in their life where they notice there is something missing, and so they begin to do some searching, when they do that, the Spirit of God begins to nudge their heart about getting to church. Well, why doesn't he just tell them what they need, what, exa- what specifically they need? Because the Holy Spirit is our co-laborer, and Jesus commissioned us to spread the good news. So it's our responsibility when they walk through the church doors to tell them, no, it's not really church that will fill that hole in your, li- your life. It's God. And, and here's how you can know him. And... and and, and get to a place where you, you feel his constant presence through this. Always do those things that please God, and his constant presence will fill that hole in your life. This is why I'm stressing this, because we have a problem in our society. Somewhere we got a hold of this notion that if we can find a church we like, we can find fulfillment in just that. But let me tell you, trying to use church to replace a growing relationship with God is like trying to use a vitamin to replace your everyday meals. How many of you know that wouldn't work too well? There's not enough substance in just a vitamin alone to sustain you. Am I saying that church is not important? No, church is very important. I mean, it's a support structure that God has supplied us with. That's why the word says not to forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Church is a place to come pray, fellowship, worship, learn, instruct, train, and many other necessary things. But church by itself cannot replace a growing relationship with God. Promotion within a church can't replace that. Influence in a church can't replace that. It's true, there's untold value in church, but church alone will not sustain you. Why? Because God did not design church to sustain you. He wants to do that himself through a relationship with his son. Through a relationship with you, through a father-child relationship with you. But sadly, many people don't understand that because they're searching without really knowing what it is they're searching for. And I'm here to tell you, if you sense that there is something missing from your life and you just can't put your finger on what that is, God is the only one who can fill that for you. Maybe you already know Jesus and you still feel an emptiness. Is it possible there are areas of your life that you haven't let him into yet? Parts of your heart that you have not allowed him to win over? 
to conquer with his love. And of course, God will never force you to do anything. But are there parts, portions of your heart that need him? Or parts of your heart that don't have his influence, his presence? This is an issue of pleasing God. Jesus said his father never left him because he always did those things that pleased the father. I want to show you something. Again, look at what Jesus said to the people in verse 26. He said, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. Flip back one chapter. We're in John 8. Look at John 7. We'll go down to verse 14. John 7, 14 says, Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. What's a doctrine? A doctrine is a teaching based on a belief. Jesus said, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. So think about this. Is it possible that Jesus could have come into the world and chosen of his own free will to teach a different doctrine than the one his father taught him? Yeah, absolutely yes. Aren't you glad that he didn't do that? Twice in these two chapters, Jesus says, I'm not giving you my words, I'm giving you my Father's words. They're my Father's words, not mine. Can I ask you a personal question? And you can answer this question in your heart. Have you ever shied away from drawing near to God because you were afraid that when you got close to him, he would ask you to give something up? If your answer was yes, then me too. Me too. Is Jesus not saying here that he is willingly giving up his right to speak his words in the earth? Has he not turned over his entire heart to the Father? Now we're talking about the Son of God here. I have no doubt that his own words would be good ones. But in order to please the Father, Jesus laid down his own words and took up the words his Father taught him to speak. Remember, he told the Jews, I have many things to say and judge concerning you. But in order to please the Father, I'm laying down what I would say. Again, paraphrasing, but it's implied. And, you know, I've read that before, and I thought, you know, they're lucky he's not going to say what he would say because he was talking to some unrepentant people. Flip back over to that same passage in chapter 8, back over to 8 again. And I know it seems like we can't get past this chapter, you know, just this little passage in chapter 8, but there's many truths we need to get a hold of here. So look at verse 29 with me again, 29. Jesus is speaking. He says, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not 
left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. In Jesus' earthly ministry, you'll notice that his primary focus was always doing things that please the Father. And as a result, as a result, he was always aware of the Father's presence with him wherever he went. I believe that was the key to his success. Because when you observe how he walked on the earth before he went to the cross, he never seemed stress out, stressed out. I mean, and I mean, some people say, well, that's because he's Jesus. He's the son of God. Well, you know, the word says that he laid aside his, his divine privilege. He walked the earth as a man with the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. The word said in Isaiah 53 that he's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He knew what it was like to walk the earth as a man. So, but, and yet, he's never stressed out. He was never in a hurry in his travels. He was never worried about where his next meal was coming from. Because yes, he did have to eat. Very few things upset Jesus when he walked on the earth. Very few things got a rise out of him. Some things did. And when you think about it, you know, he lived with some very difficult things. Just being in Roman-occupied Judea, he would have seen crucifixions by the side of the road. He traveled a lot. And you know, the thought of that is something that our society is appalled by, seeing people hanging dead at the side of the road. Jesus dealt with insane, demon-possessed people, violent storms, people who were hopelessly deformed, terminally ill. Honestly, when he was hanging on the cross, he seemed more upset that he couldn't feel his father's presence than he was at being crucified. How could that be? It was because his relationship with the father was what sustained him. In everything, his entire life was yielded to the Father. And in that moment when he couldn't feel his Father's presence, that upset him more deeply than anything else he had experienced. But he went through that temporary separation to ensure that we who accept him would never have to feel that. Because we can get to a place where we feel his presence at all times. By pleasing him, always. Last week we read in the book of Joshua, where God told Joshua, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He now keeps that promise to us through what Jesus did on the cross. He endured that separation so that we would never have to endure it. That sacrifice that he made, it still amazes me. To completely lay down his own will to seek the will of his father. He was so focused on only speaking the father's words that when people didn't like his teaching and left him, because that happened, he didn't chase them down. He didn't change his approach. He didn't change his words to try to persuade them to come back. That would have required laying down the words his father taught him to take up other words. He wouldn't do that because it wouldn't Please the Father. He didn't shun great crowds of people when they came to hear him, but he always made pleasing the Father his number one priority. 
What things do we know deep in our heart are things that we should lay down in order to please the Father? To please the one who died for us. Something came up in prayer on one of our Wednesday night services that struck me. You know, we were praying for one of the ladies in the church. She actually wasn't there, but we were praying for her concerning her job. And as I was praying, I said something that I wasn't planning on saying. You know, the Holy Spirit was, he just kind of showed me something about her. And so as we, as I, we were praying, the statement I made without planning to was this. Lord, I, she searches for ways to please you. I know she does. How did I know that? By the Spirit. But it was a statement that he made about this specific individual. She searches for ways to please God. And I found myself wondering, do I search for ways to please him? Yes. But I have to admit, not like Jesus did. Not always like he did. Now let me say this before I close. God did not bring this subject up to put us on a guilt trip. It's not why he did that. He brought it up so that we would know how to get to a place where we always sense his presence. So we would know how to begin that process because it's a process. It takes time. And it begins by learning to do those things that please him to a greater and greater degree, step by step, milestone by milestone. I've got a few scriptures for you uh, to prime the pump, so to speak, on this, you know, but it, uh, but it didn't feel right to go on an extended study of ways to please him and then just, just tell him, okay, you just, tell, tell you guys, okay, you just got to please God, that's just what you got to do. No, uh, you know, I, I, I felt like I needed to give you some scriptures to start with, but of course, they're just a start. You got to get in the word and find out what God is interested in. You got to get in there and find out what pleases him. What, what, what drives him? What impassions him to do the things he does? What is he passionate about? Well, first of all, we understand he's passionate about us spending time with him in his word. It's one of the things he's passionate about. You know, because we talked about that last week. Meditating in his word day and night. In his word. God is pleased with us when we open his word for the purpose of spending time with him. And, you know, I've done this before, but probably not as much as I should. I've gone to him and I've told him, Lord, I'm going to... I mean, I, I have limited time in the day, but I'm going to spend some of it on you. I'm going to invest some time in you. Just spend some time with you. You know, and as we do that, we'll find that we'll be more aware of his presence just doing that. Okay, so here's a few verses to prime the pump, like I said, on this subject of pleasing God. The first one is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10. Ephesians 5, verse 10, if you want to write that down. And then Colossians, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. And then Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6. 
Hebrews 11, 6. And then Psalms, Psalm, excuse me, Psalm 149, verses 3 and 4. Psalm 149, 3 and 4. So with that all being said, I, I think that even, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a, I know, pretty, a pretty meaty message. You're going to have to chew on that for a while, but, you know, God will help you do that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that your desire is for us to draw close to you, to seek you out, to spend time with you, to do all your will, to build that father-child relationship with you. So we thank you for sending Jesus to make that possible. So Lord, I, I ask for protection for everybody. I ask for safety for everybody. I ask, Lord, that you would touch this nation, that you would heal this nation, that you would speak to the hearts of those who are in authority and running things and give them wisdom as to what to do. I pray that you continue to bless everyone with um, provisions, with um, health. And I thank you, Father, and I, I, I just, we praise you. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, bless you guys, and uh, I'll see you next week.